0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming out and being part of the gathering of the saints here at Mendham Hills Community Church on a super special day. If you've been with us over the last bunch of weeks, we've been talking about the concept of legacy. Why? Because I'm getting old, and uh, I realize that if I am going to leave anything of lasting value... I better start thinking about intentionally leaving it because I'm unintentionally leaving one, right? One of the things that we've talked about is everybody wants to leave a legacy, right? It's, it's something kind of innate in us. We all want to leave something behind that outlives us. The reality is all of us are leaving a legacy. The only question that we've been wrestling with is what is the legacy that each of us is, li- is leaving? What's the legacy that's been left to each of us? Now, if you've been around for the last bunch of weeks, we've looked at, um, the, you know, the importance of legacy, how it ripples for generations. If you were here that first week, we looked at actual families, historical families, you know, the study of the, all of the prison inmates in New York City and how they all tracked back to, to one guy. Um, and we also then looked at two other um, real lives and the blessing um, that came through generations uh, because of legacy. We've looked at the legacy of faith, right? Uh, we've looked at the legacy of hope. This week, we're going to look at an important part. You know, I've been, I've been talking about the baton handoff concept, right? Um, that we're trying to hand off, what is the legacy you're trying to hand off to the next generation? And so we've talked about um, uh, faith, and we've, we've talked about hope. Today, I, we're going to take a pause because we have a special guest, and, and Mark's here, and, and I'll introduce him in a second. But we... we Plan, you know, I know sometimes you go, do, you, do people even plan these things? Yes, the answer is yes. And so we planned Mark to come during the legacy series because he's an expert on helping us to hand these legacies, the right ones, not the wrong ones, off to the next generation. Now, the key to a legacy is fairly simple in one respect. Not the hows and the whys. Those are a little bit more difficult. The question, I, I wrote this to you this week, You can assemble the four fastest runners on the face of the earth, put them in a relay race, and what you can almost be guaranteed about is that they won't win. And they won't win because they don't know one another. And when it gets to the concept of the handoff, they're going to run out of their lane, they're going to go past the transition zone, they're going to drop the baton because there's no relationship there. One of the bummers of being online, and I love our online audience, but one of the bummers about being online is you can't play clips because you never know what might be copyrighted and what might not be. Go home, and if you want to see a visual of this, look up the worst baton handoff ever. I think it was in the Olympics, and one of the teams butchered the, uh, the handoff, and so they kept going back trying to get it right, and they just kept screwing it up over and over and over again. They, it, it, you can't believe they kept trying. To their credit, the race had been over for five minutes, but they were still trying. Mark is here today because that is not what we want. You could train, you could live your, your life perfectly, you could, you, could, you could witness before the generations uh, th- that are going to come after and still blow it. Because you missed the key, the handoff, the relational handoff. So Mark's going to come up and talk about this. Mark, is. Uh, this is his second trip here to Menham Hills Community Church. He was here three years ago. We had never heard of COVID three years ago. Think about that, right? Um, we were here, over a 100 of you were out yesterday for our parenting seminar, and Mark and I were talking, and we, we share a bit of a, a kinship. And uh, at one point, Joan said to me, in fact, uh, someone on staff said to me, You know, you and Mark are, are a lot alike. You guys, you know, he's kind of from Texas, and you're from up here. You're very similar. I said, Yeah, except my boot game is much better than Mark's. So, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, you, if I was in Texas, I can only imagine. Mark has been uh, working with teens for over 40 years Uh, as a youth minister, as a young life director. He and his wife, Jan, founded this incredible ministry called Heart Life. It's a residential counseling center for teens that are struggling and families in crisis. I've had four teenagers. They took like 10 years off my life. Mark has helped raise over 3,000 teenagers. I have no idea how you're alive. 3,000 teens. He's authored nearly two dozen books, he's written hundreds of articles, he's the host of a nationally acclaimed um, broadcast, radio podcast, Parenting Today's Teens, heard on 1,800 radio outlets throughout North America, and now on his bio, as I said yesterday, he only writes his grandchildren, he doesn't speak of his children, I'll let him do that, but he's got four. How do you say, is it, is it male, Emmy? Miley, Miley, Macy, Chase, and Carter. Would you give a huge, rousing welcome to our friend, Mark Redson. Cool.
1: I don't get the smoke and blue lights, is that... Do I miss out on that? I really feel like I've got cataracts or something looking at you guys. It's just a little bit foggy in one way. It's good to be here. This is the... uh, I was here a few years ago. How many of y'all heard me do something a few years ago? Well, then I'll tell just one thing that that I'll repeat from three years ago and everything else is kind of fresh. Um, His boots are better than mine? Are you serious? I was going, you gotta be kidding me. And uh, anyway, it's good to be here. Uh, A little bit about me. He said I've raised 3,000 kids. I live with 65 high school kids that come from all over the country. That are struggling, having a tough time, just making wrong choices. A third of the kids that live with us are uh, are homeschooled. Uh, a third of them are adopted, and a third of them are Southern Baptist. And uh, and so, um, if you have a if you're Southern Baptist and you're homeschooling your adopted child, there's applications to send them to a uh, outside. I'm not here to promote that. I spend most of my time about 200 nights on the road trying to help people. Uh, not ever have to send their kids to come live with us and then, because they're crisis situations. But in the midst of it, it's amazing to me that you take all these bad kids, as everybody would say they are, you take all these bad kids and you put them together and they learn about relationships at such a level that the greatest challenge they have about going home uh, is finding the depth of relationships that they long for and they had while they were with us. And so my... Um, my thoughts, ideas, and comments all are based out of a relational model. And I'll tell you this, if you have a discipline problem with your kids, you have a relationship problem. And that relationship problem may be with your child who's adopted that has a relationship problem with uh, the birth, birth parents, or it may be that somebody's being bullied at school, or something's going on, or middle school's falling apart, or whatever it is. It's, it's usually based in relationships. And, and I think there's no better way to communicate uh, the love of God, um, uh, than in the relationships that we have, and so I'm going to divide it up a little bit today. Now, just where you know me, I you know it's it's interesting to me as as you look at me and you go, "How old is this guy?" Because I'm 94, and uh, and uh, I just take a lot of vitamins and stuff. I saw the Beatles when I was nine years old. I accepted Christ at a Beach Boys concert, which was kind of odd. Um, my wife and I. Our first date was when this Christian band came through Tulsa, Oklahoma, called Led Zeppelin. And um, and so and, and it's it's just interesting to me. And, and so now I speak at Bill Gaither events, which is the old Southern gospel thing, which is hilarious. And so I've kind of done the spectrum of of music. And, and and I know you're looking at me and and going, he's you know he's got a hairstyle that's probably went out about a billion years ago. I just got a letter recently that said. Uh, dear Mark, please send us back our mustache, signed 1880. And so I, I know that I'm dated a little bit, and I know that I'm older than some and, and younger than a couple of you, but, but I think what I've learned through my years of working with kids as, you know, a, a, as he said earlier, as John said earlier, was that, that there's components of, of engaging with people that become so important. And I really believe, I believe in the authority of God's word, I believe in the inerrancy of scripture, I believe that that God spoke that into existence, and I've always asked the question, why? Why did he do that? And I think that it's it's so that we may know how to love him better, but especially how to love one another differently. That we are filled with the capability of loving beyond who we really are, because we know we have a hope and a purpose, and we know where we're headed, and we know where we're going to end up. There was something about that. And so I say that uh, meaning that, that the whole concept of grace, which is a wonderful concept, is the most difficult thing in the world. It is hard to move towards somebody who's offended you. Everybody in this room, except for these four little girls that are sitting here, uh, could probably name people that have offended you in some way. People who have, that you avoid when you're at the grocery store or that you walk the other way, you don't want to see, you uh, avoid maybe in church, you sit in a different place because there's been offenses that have happened. And scripture says that like the barred gates of the citadel is one who has offended the other. But the breakthrough of that, the breakthrough of that is God's love that says move towards somebody when you have every reason to walk the other way. And I think what happens in our relationships that we have with people is that the tendency is we walk away from the very opportunity that God has placed before us to grow and to mold us more into his likeness. I've done over 400 weddings of kids, just did one last week in, uh, in Tampa, Florida. And I told this couple, I said, I, do you believe that God has joined you together? And they said, yeah. I said, well, let me tell you this, that, that I believe that, that God, you know, that everything that comes to us has first passed through the hands of God. And so for you as a couple, everything that comes to you, God is using everything that comes to you, God is using to join you together so that you may be a reflection of his presence. And that's hard in relationships. And so my encouragement is is more today about uh, not being afraid to move toward uh, those that have offended you in some way or pushed you away, so that you can engage with them and give them a taste of, of maybe the character of God in such a way that they've never had before. It's loving somebody that's not very loving to you. It's moving towards somebody that, that really, in your heart, you want to push away. And it's offering them something that they don't deserve, but you want to give it anyway. And just like God has done to us, that you are giving an act of grace, which is very difficult but possible because of the relationship that we have with Christ. Are you following me so far? Okay, I've gotten old enough that, that you just learn what's important and what's not. And uh, Scripture says that gray hair is the glory of old men. And, uh, and so you got an old man sitting up front. I'm 67, uh, not 94. I feel like I'm 94 sometimes. And uh, like yesterday, I didn't even know where I was. I, I mean, I sat there and thought, well, I forgot for a moment where I was. I don't even know where I'm going next week because um, I'm always traveling somewhere to the next place. But as I've gotten older, I've realized a few things, that relationships are key. And they're probably the most key thing in all of our lives. I also know this, that conflict is a precursor to change. That if we are to change, then we will have to go through conflict in some way. Hold on to that. That's going to be my last words that uh, that I say today. But if you will, read with me this scripture. It's... Um, it's out of First Thessalonians, and uh, it's the second chapter. I, I mean, the first, second chapter. I'm sorry. It's the second chapter, and and, and I've I, what I've learned is that that your witness is probably more about your witness than it is anything. That as I spend time with people, that that is my witness. That my example is communicating far more than my words ever will. The way I live. Uh, will speak louder than anything that I can ever say, that what will be remembered as a legacy uh, is not the words that you speak. It'll be what you've deposited into somebody's heart, and that's going to happen across that bridge of friendship. So here we are in First um, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, for we never came to you with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness, and nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we may have asserted our authority. But we proved, here's the part, we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And having thus a fond affection with you, or for you, we were well pleased to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well, because you would become very dear to us. For you recall our labor and hardship, how working night and day to not be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the message or the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you. And just as you know how we were exhorting uh, encouraging and imploring which is really warning and appealing and and inspiring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you may walk in a manner that's worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory you know there is something about the relationship that becomes key and so i want to do this and maybe uh, maybe little tidbits of things that say hey if if, if you're at a different stage in life then then you've got different things that you're focusing on. And so how many of you um, uh, have little kids? Uh, middle school kids are, are beyond, preteen. Nobody does. Well, there's, there's four of them that are there. Well, I'll tell you this anyway. Okay, I mean, here's, here's the thing, and I mentioned it yesterday, that, that we spend a lot of time, we truly spend a lot of time um, pleasing our kids the first few years of their life, first six years of their life. We spend the next six years of their life protecting them because they'd kill themselves if, uh, if we didn't. Am I right? You know, I mean, doing stupid stuff and, and uh, blowing up things. That's what we do in Texas. We burn things and blow up things and, you know, you know, just it's lucky that anybody's alive down there. Then the next thing we do when they get into middle school, we start providing them with things. And the problem is that maybe we don't move on and start preparing them for the next stage of life. To all of you who have preteens, let me share this with you. If you think that the tools, if you think that the tools that you have that are effective during the pre-teen years are going to be effective during the teen years, you are wrong. It's the only time, it's the only time I tell people that they're wrong. Men don't like to be told they're wrong. Am I right? Of course I'm right. And... <laughs> They don't like to be told they're wrong. You know, and so I'm not telling you that, but on this one point I am, that you cannot expect the tools that that got your kids to give you those T-shirts that say, world's greatest dad, and world's greatest mom, and world's greatest papa, and whatever it is. And you think they're going to work during the teen years. They are not. And if you don't shift your parenting style to accommodate the new needs of your child as they move from concrete thinking to now abstract thinking, you might lose your child. Your child may end up living with me. And this is from a 67-year-old man who has been doing this 47 years and, and has lived with over 3,000 kids and dealt with hundreds of thousands of others. And I'm just giving you a word of advice more than anything else. You're not doing anything wrong, but you want to make sure that you're doing things right when your kids make that transition into adolescence. How many of you all, um, how many of you guys have teens? Are y'all not fertile in this place? I mean, is is it, do y'all just not have kids here or what? Yeah, so is this a bunch of old people or is it, okay, well, whatever. Okay, so if you have teens, okay, let me, good, then I get to focus on some other things here. If you have teens, which is kind of my specialty in my world of the kids that I live with, and as I said, I've got 60 high, with 35 young ladies and 25 guys that live with us, and, and uh, they live with us for about a year, and we're real involved with their families and stuff, and, I've, and I always tell parents this, that uh, at, at some point, you've got to quit sharing information and start sharing more wisdom, and there's a difference in, because the world has shifted a little bit because of this. I've got the Library of Congress right here. Anything I want to know, really, information wise, it's right here. When most of us in this room grew up, information doubled every 13 years. Codified information doubled every 13 years. If you were born in 1930, information doubled every 30 years. If you were born in 1900, information, the amount of information there is, doubled every 100 years. Are you following me? Codified information. Do you know how quickly information is doubling now? Every hour and a half. Next year, it'll be instantaneous. So I'm bombarded with information. I have so much information, I don't need any more information. So if all you are is a source of information, I don't need you anymore. And it may be an indicator of your relationship with your child that you begin to realize, hey, my child acts like they don't need me. They used to need me all the time, now they don't. And maybe that's because you're just a source of information. And if you're like me, I mentioned this yesterday, if you're like me um, and you watch Fox News, um, does anybody here work for Fox? If you watch Fox News, it's just one yap after the other. Just yap, yap, continuous. Drives me nuts after a while. After about 15 minutes, I go, I've got to turn this thing off. It's driving me crazy. It's like getting on fake book and just scrolling through, looking at people's lives that I don't even know anymore, and I'm just, I'm spending countless time just comparing myself, and everybody's, you know, doing a thousand push-ups, and their dog died, and somebody else, you know, put their mother here, and their dad did, the, you know, and, and, and did somebody memorize the book of Hebrews backwards in Spanish? I mean, it just... And everybody's on vacation but me. You know, I mean, I just notice that. It's just a cherry picking of all these wonderful, wonderful things in their life. And, um, and everything's good, and I'm working my tail off going, I don't feel, and so it makes me feel, I, I just got to stop. It's too much. Moms, you've got to quit talking so much. And the reason is this, because when you just share information, Your kids will shut you off just like I shut off Fox News or get off of Facebook. Scripture says that even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. That a fool delights in airing their opinion. Are you following me? Now here's, that's the slap. Here's the kiss. Every man in this room knows this. That any one of you women in this room possesses more wisdom than all the men in this room put together. And if you keep talking and your kids shut you off, they will never hear the wisdom that you possess that they so desperately need for a culture that is so contrary to how you've raised them. They need you desperately. So do this, action point. Don't say anything. Stop. Dads, quit trying to fix everything. It's okay for things to be broken. You're communicating that you want a perfect world, and it's not. But you don't have to fix everything all the time. There doesn't have to be a lesson, you know, at every teachable moment. It's okay to let things be undone and focus on the relationship rather than the solution. Are you following me? So that would be the first thing I would tell you. The second thing I would tell you is that, that, that your teens need a place of rest. When Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul." He was talking about a world that has gone crazy, and you can find rest in Him. And if I'm to be to my kids who God is to me, then I want to be that place of rest for them, which means I stop correcting all the time. Maybe Only correct your kids on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, okay? Just stop. They don't need to be told to do something different. This is how you can do it better. It's okay. They can make it through school with A's and B's. They don't need straight A's I made it through high school with C's and D's and have done pretty well I wasn't even in the top 85 percent of my class out of 800 people and you're going well and he founded a boarding school you know so there's a part of it where I go it's it's okay to back up a little bit and uh, and create that place of rest where your kids can come home and find rest because if they're not if not they're going to find it somewhere and the third thing I would tell you is this listen Listen, spend more time listening. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason because he wants you to listen twice as much as he wants you to talk. This world has changed so much and we've been being bombarded with so much information, so much information that the, it's changed. It's changed the ways that our kid engages with us. You pick him up from school. How you doing? Good. What'd you do? Nothing. What do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Whatever. That's a kid that's had it up to here with information. They've been bombarded throughout the day. And every one of you have said this, every one of you, except these four little girls, they will eventually, that you're glad that you don't have to grow up in this culture. Well, your kids do. So there's got to be a reprieve, a respite, a rest some place to calm down, to have fun, to enjoy one another. And in this sped up world, that doesn't happen as much as it needs to. So I would tell you, listen more than anything else. Listen. How many of you are grandparents? This grandparenting thing, yeah, you're going to, you got one coming in uh, two months. She looks like she's ready to pop now. She got up and left. She got up and left yesterday yesterday. Uh, the, the seminar we were having, and I thought, is now the time? I mean, is this going to happen now? And so we all gathered around and didn't. And uh, <laughs> we wanted it to, though. You know, grandparenting is, is an amazing thing, I think, that it, it give, it's a mulligan. It, it gives you a second chance. It um, gives you an opportunity to learn from your own kids and now take it to your grandkids. And really, your legacy that you leave will not be remembered beyond your grandkids it really is kind of amazing unless you've killed a whole bunch of people or are you some rock star or something yeah i doubt that it's going to be remembered so those grandkids is when people start thinking about that passing the baton and and what am i what am i communicating sadly i asked my brother that last week we were on a duck hunt in stuttgart arkansas and um, i said what what did our dad pass down to us because I've been thinking about it a lot. Blake Shelton came out with a song, and, and uh, y'all listen to country music? Yes, you should. And um, uh, shame on the rest of you. And um, he came out with a song, and it talks about legacy and passing down something, and I have really spent time thinking, what was passed down to me? And I've come up with this. Nothing. Isn't that something? Nothing. I asked my brother, who's an atheist, uh, but we get along really well. Um, what, was pa- what do you think was passed down to you? He said, an example of how not to parent your kids. That's something. Doesn't that speak a lot about legacy? I mean, I, I, I think that John's right. You, you are passing on something. So you have the opportunity to do that. Uh, yeah, here's the thing. When, when kids get to be teens, I, I go to a lot of funerals of, of people now my age and and above, and it's funny when grandkids get up and talk, all they talk about, all they talk about is what they did prior to uh, when the kid was 12 years old. They don't talk about the teen years. And it's interesting because that's when the social circles begin to enlarge a little bit and get so big, and it's usually grandparents that get eliminated first. And they get eliminated for a number of reasons. Sometimes grandparents think that I've got to cram in all these programs and ideas and teachings and thoughts, and that's all I'm going to do, and they're basically just thinking of themselves and not of the child. You know, it, it may be saying that somewhere I, you need to quit sharing your opinion so much. Don't share your opinion unless somebody asks. I don't share my opinion when people do ask. The home that I create for my grandkids that are ages 21 down to age 8 is a, one that doesn't have rules. Come in. I don't criticize them. I don't say a word about what they're wearing. I don't say a thing about a piercing in their nose. I don't, I, I don't care about that stuff. That's not important. When I'm six feet in the ground or burnt to a crisp somewhere, it doesn't really, that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is the relationship that I form with them. And so I would encourage you to do this. Share your perspective. God has given you a perspective on, on this world and has created a million stories in your life that maybe you haven't touched yet that you could. But share your perspective without being judgmental. Share your perspective without demanding... Um, perfection share your perspective um with the opportunity of diving deeper into a relationship my granddaughters wanted to go see a girl named taylor swift t-swizzle and um and i met her when she was like 14 15 years old and and uh, sweet gal and so i charged my daughter to go get the tickets and so she was going to go get the tickets and um uh, which was wonderful um and, uh, and I'm pretty much one that, I, I, as I mentioned, I go to a lot of concerts, and, but I like to sit up front. And I don't want to sit on the front row, but I want to sit up front. But I sure don't want to sit in the back. And I mean, um, uh, there was a lady uh, in Nashville whose uh, husband plays with the Eagles, and she called and said, I've got tickets in Nashville. Do you and Jan want to go, go, see, go see the Eagles? I go, where are the tickets? Because <laughs> I want to sit up front. I don't want to sit in the back. My daughter buys the tickets. My two granddaughters are with us. They're dressed up like Taylor Swift, and they bring two friends, and they're dressed up. And so it's my wife and I, my daughter, and these four little girls. And we're walking in the arena in Shreveport, Louisiana, and we we walk in, and I notice we're walking further and further to the back, way in the back. So we go up these little circle things, and we are way in the back. And I'm sitting there going, who? Where are these tickets? Why are they so far in the back? This has got to be ridiculous. I can't believe they're all the way in the back. And I'm just, I'm just kind of griping about everything. I mean, it's probably the worst day in the world, in history, that we're sitting so far back. Matter of fact, when we sat down, every time I did this, my head hit concrete. That's no joke. See what it did to the back of my head? Just <laughs> wore it out. I mean, and so, so we're sitting there, and I'm complaining the whole time, going, this, you can't even see anything. I mean, when she came out, I'm looking at her, there's Taylor, she's about that big, I mean, I can't even see, she looks like an aunt playing a guitar, and I go, we are so far back, you can't even see anything, this is just utterly ridiculous, and I just went on and on, of course, I exaggerate things a little bit, but I was just going on and on, this is, this is horrible, this is just absolutely horrible, all of a sudden, my granddaughter, Macy, looks at me, she turns around, and she goes, Papa, these are the best seats in the whole house. Macy, why would you say that? She goes, because you could see everything from here. No joke. We could see the back of everyone's head. Everybody. You could see the electrical, the plumbing, the storage areas. We were so far back. You could see it all. You could see it all. And I just sat there and looked at her and I thought, okay, I'm going to quit griping. And these are really great seats. And she was excited to be there. So I said, hey, why don't y'all I uh, sit over here, and I'll move and stand here. So anyway, Taylor comes out and starts doing her thing, and, and I'm kind of just standing there going, I can't even see it. I can hear it, but I can't even see it, you know, and, and I'm squinting. One of my eyes popped in the middle of it, and, and I'm trying to focus, and 45 minutes into the concert, all of a sudden, Taylor Swift is standing right here next to me, right here next to me, so close. When she turned her guitar, one of the strings that they hadn't curled, evidently it broke, kind of poked me. And, and I just went, hey, girls, get over here next to her. She sat there and she played three or four songs at the very back of everything. At the very back, you know, that we were. And I'm sitting there. And so at the end, I go, Taylor, let me get a shot of you guys. And she just bent over and I took a shot of uh, my granddaughters with her at this concert. They leave and I'm sitting there going, man, that's pretty cool. That's really pretty cool. I can't believe that just happened. And Macy turned to me and she said, See, Papa, I told you these were the best seats in the house. That is perspective. That is perspective. Kids feel like the world is falling apart. It's not. They feel like it's worse than it's ever been. It's not. I grew up in the 60s. I mean, we were killing people. Presidents, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, riots everywhere. Everybody thought it was so bad, so bad. And I go, it's our job to give perspective. That ushers in a legacy of hope, that you can make it, you can get through this. Whatever is thrown at you, God will bring you to a better spot, and you can make it. The other thing is that I, I would tell, so I would tell you, give uh, grandparents, give perspective to any young person that's here. Are there any young people here? Are they all out someplace else? There's one here, two. Well, you're a young person, that's right, but you're only three. And um, no, and but it's 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 these things. This has changed the way that people engage and react to one another, and act toward one another and, and uh, uh, we're never going to get rid of this. As a matter of fact, it's going, probably going to get worse in, in one sense, the way technology runs. And I'm not against that. But what I'm for is the relationships. And, and my concern for high schoolers is they're not getting a taste of relationships like maybe you and I used to have in those relationships. And it's because of the way of communication. So my encouragement is always to to young people saying, you know, don't let this crazy culture ruin the relationships that God's placed before you. That He's given you a family for a reason. Don't spend more time on your phone with everybody else and not with your family. It's important. Who's going to remember you more, support you more, give you more, do things for you more than anybody else will be your family. And the tendency is, is that young people get consumed in the, on a phone, whether it be whatever it is. They just get consumed and that's not the problem the problem is the ignorance of uh, or the ignoring of relationships around them and I tell young people this all the time you were created for much more than what technology would lead you to believe the comparison theology that happens with every kind of site there is is damaging and um, that is why that is why parents ought to be placing some uh, some rules younger, of course, um, on how much time somebody spends on a phone. We now have competition as parents and grandparents. We've never had that before. And so it's just keeping that in mind. And the other thing I would tell everybody this, I mean, I I think this is important. What time do I finish At, at 1230? Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, I know. Okay, well, I'm fine. We're good, we're good. I believe in relationships and I, and I believe there's a purpose in relationships and it, it's not only to build structure and, and to make sure we're dealing with hard things and uh, I think it's for the joy of life and that we find a lot of joy in our families and, and, um, and I think sometimes we try too hard to make it more of a program than we do making it a relationship. Family is not something you do, it's something that you are. And my encouragement to you would be just to lighten up a little bit. Lighten up. You're, you're too strict. You're too serious sometimes. And somebody goes, well, I can't believe he'd say something like that. And I go, I live with 60 high school kids. You know, somebody says, how do you... How? My first answer is always that they go, how do you make that? How do you make it? I mean, we deal with, I mean, from cutters to people who are suicidal to kids who are... I mean, runaways to, you know... And my first answer is always, well, I drink, drink a lot. And, um, and my second answer, which is the true answer, is that you learn how to laugh and see the joy in, in the journey as you go through the trials that you go through. Are you following me? We wanted to be on uh, Moody Radio. Moody Radio is out of Chicago. Do they have Moody Radio here? Do you all hear Moody Radio Station? I don't listen to Christian radio, and so it doesn't. <laughs> I'm on it, but I don't ever turn it on and listen to it. And uh, But we wanted to be on their station. They have 80 different stations across the country, kind of a powerhouse. And we wanted to be on their station. And they're not used to a guy with a mustache and blue jeans and, and uh, boots walking in and, and saying, hey, I'd love to do a parenting program on your deal. So they wanted to test us out a little bit. And it was interesting that uh, Moody is, is pretty conservative. If they had a sound that depicted... Um, uh, them. It would be just very conservative, just very conservative, just like this. And so when we walked into the studio um, to give them a demo of what we do, they said, come in on a Tuesday morning and um, we'll have you kind of talk about parents, parenting for a while, and then we'll take questions from our listeners. There's a million people listening and downtown Chicago, so we show up, and our group is there from uh, Longview, Texas, where I live, and then the group from California that produces radio is there, and then all the moody radio people are there, so they're all gathered outside the glass on the other side of this steel, and uh, and we're getting ready to to spend an hour uh, with the host of the program named Mark Elvstrand, a wonderful, wonderful man, um, and so we just start talking, he's asking me questions, that's at 6 o'clock in the morning. goes till 7. Then at 7 o'clock, um, we're going to take questions from, uh, from listeners that are calling in. You have to know this. You have to know this. That the day beforehand, there was a news article that came out, fourth page of the Wall Street Journal, third page of USA Today, that talked about a pastor of a church um, somewhere out west um, that was very anti-homosexual. I mean, just like this, just anti, anti, anti anti-homosexual. And yet he was leaving and having a homosexual relationship with somebody else, and then coming back and preaching against it, and then he'd go and have the relationship. And after three or four years, the guy that was up there said, this is what this pastor's doing. And uh, so he he lost his church. He... um, lost his fame i served on a board with him with the national association of evangelicals so i knew him i didn't i knew of him i didn't really know him and um but so he kind of lost everything well in in the process of restoration and him wanting to talk to people and kind of figure out how do i get back uh, my life he went through three or four years of counseling and he did everything that was required of him by all these people all around him which was wonderful and so the news article that came out that was on SRN News as well was that this guy, I, I won't say his name, but this guy is 100% heterosexual. Are you following me? So that came out on a Monday. Now this is Tuesday morning, and we just finished an hour of parenting stuff, and, um, and now the first question comes in. Are you following me? Everybody's on the other side of the glass just drinking their coffee, you know, just drinking like this, and, and uh, so the first question comes in, and Mark says, Mark, uh, the guy Mark, the host, says, Mark, we have a, a lady, Stephanie, on the line that has a question for you. And I said, well, hey, sweetheart, how are you? Tell me what your question is. She goes, I've got a question for you. Mark, are you 100% heterosexual? Everybody on the other side of the glass <laughs> just, <laughs> just kind of dropped their cup a little bit, And our producer, a guy named Roger, Roger was on the other side of the glass going, and everything went into slow motion. He was going, oh, no, oh, no, like this. And and it just kind of came out. And I said, you know, I don't think so. And I mean the eyes on the other side. And here we are auditioning to be on this. I said, I don't think so. And eyes got big. And I said, because I think I'm 95% heterosexual. I think I'm 3% metrosexual because I wear Tommy Bahama shirts occasionally, and I'm 2% homosexual because I'd kiss Keith Urban if I had the opportunity to, (laughs) and I thought it was funny. I mean, I thought, it was like this, in my mind, I was just going, and I just knocked it out of the park. I go, that is, how did I even say that? How did I even say that? And the next thing you heard was, and the weather in Chicago is, and they immediately took it off the air. All of a sudden, the guy that's head of the radio is sitting there knocking on the window going, you can't say that. You can't say that. You're on live radio. And I just stood up, and I looked at him, and I just said, um, guys, let me tell you something. If you don't lighten up, you'll never be able to talk about the hard subjects that need to be talked about. We're now their number three radio show. It's interesting to me. um, I was in Duck Dynasty Land um, and spoke at their church, and and this lady came up to me after I shared that story. She's thirty-five years old and. 35. She's 85 years old. And she goes, we haven't laughed like that in years. And then a man came up to me. I wish I would have gotten his name. He said, you know, I found this. You can always throw a bigger brick if it's wrapped in humor. There was something about knowing who he is and knowing who we are that allows us to face the things that come to us in such a way that it doesn't ruin our lives, but it still allows the joy and the fun and the, um, and the thrill of wrestling through answers to get to a better place to help somebody else, that we can do that with a sense of confidence. And I don't know about you, but I wrestle with how do I take Scripture and apply it to different situations in this world that are constantly coming up and are different, and I'm always wrestling through, them. how do we figure this thing out? And somewhere along the line, I think we've lost the thrill and the joy of knowing who we are in the midst of this. That not only is our relationship good, hopefully, with the people around us, but it's extremely well with the one who created us and the one who has placed us in the positions we have as parents and as grandparents. Now, here's the funny part of the story. Here's the funny part. Three years ago, we were in uh, Leaper's Fork outside of Franklin, Tennessee. Recording our radio program, we decided to take a break, and so we went to um, um, went to this little sandwich shop, no bigger than this little area right here, little tiny little tiny sandwich shop. And so the four of us are kind of sitting off to the side, our you know our producer and our tech guy and all the other stuff, and we're sitting there, and guess who walks in? Keith Urban. <laughs> One of our guys goes, "Well, Mark, there you go." And <laughs> Said it loud enough that Keith kind of turned and he was with his wife. And so I walked up to him and I said, Hey, Keith, I'm Mark Grixton, and I'm 95% and, and uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, 3% that, that, you know, and 2% that I'd kiss you if I had the opportunity. He just looked at me and he goes, Well, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> there is something, there is something about the humor that is in life that each one of us is called to bring that out, to show the joy that we all possess because of the confidence that, that we do have in a relationship with a God that is saying to every one of our uh, preteen families is to pour your life into your, into your kids. To anybody that's in high school, to those parents, is to create a place of rest. To grandparents, it's saying to them, listen, spend time listening and give perspective and then to every high school person it's saying you are far more you are far more than what social media would lead you to believe and we can do that with a great sense of relationship a great sense of offering because of who he is and who we are in the midst of it am i supposed to signal somebody that it's almost time to come the band am i supposed to look at the band and say come up there's a scripture while they're coming up. Um, it's out of James one two through three, and it says, "Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials." Isn't that neat. Consider it joy when we are faced with those things that are struggling that we struggle with or wrestle with or have a tough time with. And he says this that knowing that the testing of faith, the testing that happens through the trials that you encounter, that you are to face with joy produces endurance. Isn't that cool? And let that endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Thanks so much.